Has this ever happened to you? It seems like the things you touch somehow turn to gold. Clients are happy, business is growing, sales are through the roof. And then, through no fault of your own, your business and others just like it are crippled by a downturn in the economy. Your kid's college fund dries up. And about the time you're able to finally breathe again, a health crisis brings you back to your knees. It happened to our guest, Pete Blum, who explains on this episode about how he discovered that shared experiences and abiding in Christ in the presence of pain transformed his heart. We hope your heart is changed too as you join us for this episode called When Business Fails, But God Won't. Welcome to the Doorways Leadership and Influence Network podcast. My name is Rachel Middleton and we're happy you're here with us today. The reason for our time together is to hear and learn about topics vital to leadership, influence, and the kingdom of God. Are you ready? Let's get started. Thank you for joining us on our podcast. I'm your host, Rick Shields. I serve as the director of the Doorways Leadership and Influence Network. I'd like to remind you that we'd be happy for you to suggest topics or guests that we could interview. You can help us with that by dropping an email to us. We can be reached at info at doorways.cc. And should we choose a topic that you suggest or connect with a guest you recommend, we're going to send you a small gift. Our guest today is Pete Blum. He's a corporate executive and business leader from Issaquah, Washington. Pete, you've got a really varied background. I remember you started in public accounting in like 1986. Is yes. that correct? Yes. And I don't think anyone can prepare a young accountant for the grueling work days that lie ahead for them in those early years. Would you agree yes. with that or no? Yes, I'm shivering even still. How many <laughs> hours did you work? That first year, you know, the tax season, you I would say, you know, 60 to 80 hours a week. And then it calmed down a little bit in off season. But going from college to that was a wake-up call. Hey, I spoke with a, a friend recently who is in public accounting, and she told me that last week, and, and you know, I just spoke with her last Saturday, so the previous week, she clocked out end of the week at 65 hours. So that still can be true in public accounting. I wonder why you left that profession. <laughs> well, I still, I still would say I attribute that to the Lord's leading, but I certainly found an industry more engaging that I, I liked. I actually went into software development and selling that software for CPAs. I've got here, you became the sales and support manager for a startup software accounting company. I remember coming to the office. There yes. were, at that time, I thought there were only, you were the, the third full-time employee. There was a part-time mailroom person. But yeah. You indicate that you were the fifth employee hired. And when I left seven years later, there were over 300 to give me an idea yeah. of the growth. And they went on to have over 400 within about 10 years of, of their startup. Yeah. So you were doing you were doing some sales, but also you were doing some training, as I recall, for those people that you were hiring. I worked alongside Tim Revin, the, the vice president of the company, and he and I had the good fortune and opportunity to develop a lot of leadership curriculum unique to selling in a professional environment, such as a CPA environment, and infusing in that what we believe to be godly principles of leadership. So for me, at, at the age 23, 24, that was an extremely fortunate period of time where I sort of cut my teeth on leadership, not just 
putting it on paper, but living it out. And almost like I had a forum to practice that. Many of those things I enjoy and still practice today. Well, and and after working there, you moved to Salem, Oregon, founded a real estate brokerage firm. The information I received from you says that within nine years, you were seeing over 250 transactions per year and over $50 million a year in sales. That's Uh, no small accomplishment either. No, it's not. And, and uh, I stepped in with my mom, who at the time was a single agent. And she called me when I was in Tulsa and saying, I really can use your help. And so we took that and started and it just it just blew, grew up and blew up, as it were. And yeah. got to the point where, and of course, when you go, when you grow that much, that fast, you live a little bit uh, in warp speed. So you don't have a chance to really anchor down and soak in what you're trying to establish. But along the way, you also learn principles that are timeless. And I I felt like I learned, even though it seemed like a vacuum, I learned a lot. Strengths that I thought I had, I didn't have. Strengths that I didn't think I had, I had. Sometimes you don't know that until you're either in the fire or going at a certain pace. And so those 13 years were a tremendous leadership experience for me as well. I noticed next, uh, from there, somewhere along the line, you became an owner of a wholesale flower shop in Colorado Springs. And after that, I think you became a business director of a multi-site church, over 2,500 people there in Issaquah, where you live now. And you did that for another five years. So what you're saying is there were plenty of leadership opportunities in all of these venues. Yeah. If you look at it from the spectrum of location type, industry type. I even did missions work uh, in a different country for for a while. Uh, You put those all together and stitch it into a a continuum of 20, 30 years, you find yourself in different environments, different cultures, different preferences, different languages in my case. And so you're naturally going to learn things that you probably wouldn't learn when you're located in one job or one location. You talked about this mission work you've done in in Asia. I've done some leadership training in uh, North Africa and in Latin America as well. Is it easy? Do you, I, I find it a little difficult personally to be able to help share my heart in another culture, even though my words may be translated. I'm never sure that my heart is fully being translated to help people understand what I'm talking about. How do you overcome that? I'd rather answer that by an experience. The line of work that I was doing in Asia was training biblical leaders, leaders to to train as pastors in a country that was close to the gospel and lacked the training. So the ministry that I belonged to was there to train up, fortify, raise leaders. And I'll never forget this experience I had, Rick, near the end of a one-week training. Like Like you said, you wonder how much of the content, or really even your heart, is transferable through an interpreter. They were very respectful. I think they they answered the questions. I feel like the material was taught and, and caught, but you wonder in the area of transformation, let's just say heart work, how much happened. Well, it was uh, at a time when Mary Kay was uh, diagnosed with breast cancer. And my interpreter who knew this said, I think you should share this story. I think you should share what Mary Kay is facing. And I, when I was going to get back from the country, I uh, was, Mary Kay was going to go into her treatment. So in a very, I I don't think I was very emotional. I just simply said, would you pray for me 
I am facing a difficult time with my, with my wife going into cancer treatment. And I'll never forget the looks that I got. This particular country, I think, is practiced, but it's uh, maybe it's unique to where I, who I was speaking to. But they were like weeping out loud. They were very, very moved. And I don't think I did a great job, at least emotionally, presenting the need. I just simply asked for a prayer. But what happened was they saw in that exchange my humanity. I think that spoke to them and almost added value to what I was trying to convey all week. And you wonder in that takeaway, while it was unique because I had a certain need, if part of the exchange of leadership is in your walking your in humility before your students or those you're trying to influence, that there is real life experience that they can engage with and pray for. And it's almost like you're giving them an opportunity to lead as you have been teaching them to lead. And it was extremely moving. And uh, that same group, I ended up teaching for about the next two or three years. And every time I'd come back, they would want an update. They would want to pray. I can see from the effectiveness and an influence in those subsequent teachings how much more effective I was. Why? I don't think the material was any better. I don't think I did any better. I just think I connected with them at a heart level. And we've seen that also in Latin America, times when... uh... My wife, Sheila, takes a group of ladies, a ministry group called Simply Sisters. Typically, they'll go and they'll share in in a forum where they've invited people to come in. About half the people in those groups are not Christ followers. And they'll share stories of how these ladies struggled with divorce or with depression or with with illness or with the death of a spouse or, or or whatever difficulties they're facing. And women in these other countries have come to believe that people in America just don't have problems. You know, everything's good. Everything's bright and rosy for us. Everyone else in the world struggles, but not people in America. And that's just not true, obviously. By being yeah. able to share that, you're right. It does open up a new avenue and bring you to an opportunity to communicate heart to heart and I'm always grateful for those opportunities. Yeah. And along the same lines, Rick, and under the topic of relating to people at a heart level, a lot of times you can get there, not so much what you're saying, but to what extent you share life with them. This particular group that I mentioned in Asia that I was shared that news about Mary Kay's cancer, this group got up really early in the morning, like 5 a.m. None of them speak English very well. I didn't know their native tongue. But they invited me nonetheless at like 5 a.m. And they would do some rather bizarre things, things that I wouldn't ever do, ever do in America. <laughs> and yet I was determined to have a shared worship experience with them. And they were so touched by that. They became, among all the different groups that I had an opportunity to engage with, the closest group, even to this day, that, that's the closest group because of that, that shared experience. I went to them. Show me what you do. Can I be a part of that? And suddenly you find a shared experience that I think frames information that you're trying to train in a much better way because they're seeing my heart. I'm seeing their heart. They want to learn from me, not because I know more than them, but more it's like they care for me. They actually want to know my life. And I believe that opens up heart pathways, as it were, not just mind pathways to a transformed life. I'm speaking with Pete Blum, a corporate executive and business leader from Issaquah, Washington, about marketplace ministry 
He and his wife, Mary Kay, have been friends for over 30 years. Pete's current assignment is as a CPA, leading a remote accounting services team and assisting churches and nonprofits with accounting services. Pete, we believe that our failures should be stepping stones to help us pivot or to make necessary changes to put us on the right track for the future. Talk to me about one of the worst failures and also who influenced you the most in the midst of that failure. It's a rather interesting story. I'll give you the extreme abbreviated version. When I was in Colorado Springs and we had this wholesale floral company, the time frame that we owned that was in the a rough patch in the U.S. economy that 2008 to 2000. Not, not when you bought it. When you bought it, things were looking good. Six but months before the market it crashed. changed, <laughs> as I recall. Yeah. So we bought it in April of 08. And if you remember, right around election time uh, of October of 08, things really took a nosedive. So from that point, moving forward on a financial spectrum, it was a, it was one struggle after another. And it was a very, very difficult time. And Mary Kay and I's life. I remember quickly getting to the end of myself, not measured in dollars, but measured in being overwhelmed, being anxious. How am I going to make this? I had kids about ready to go to college. It was a really rough time. God brought you ready for this? There, there was, there was in my industry, three like kind wholesale florist companies. I was one of them, the biggest one. And then there's these other two. And one of the ones that owned the, the other company was a, is a believer. He reached out to me and said, I feel like I should pray for you. You seem like you're under a lot of stress. And we together walked through a book called Lost in the Middle. I think it's Paul David Tripp who wrote that. This gentleman is about 10, maybe even 15 years older than I am, who in anybody else's eyes would have been a competitor slash enemy. And God brought this man, kind, gentle, humble, and walked me through that. And it was in that season and in that particular book that I found purpose in my struggle. So at the time, I'm around late 40s. And so he's about 15. He's so, he was probably in his mid-60s at the time and owned the company that, that my, competi- my competition sure. for like 25 years, far better at it than I am. Sure. And he'd seen up and downs. I mean, oh, he, of course. he'd been yeah. there. And he was struggling this. too. He was struggling sure. too. He, could saw, he saw in me a weightiness that I believe he followed the Lord and he called me and said, can we get together? And in that, in that togetherness, we walked through this book and we probably met, I'm guessing a dozen times in the course of about a year and really impacted me what he did, what he said, but more importantly, that we had a friendship in the midst of what what should be a competition. Wait a minute. You're telling me competitors can be companions. <laughs> I often think that's God's way. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Yeah. What advice would you give to somebody who is in a situation where things have been looking kind of difficult and it <laughs> it feels like the other shoe is about to drop, failure is about to seize their situation what advice can you give to someone to help them in that season of their life? Boy, I can't help but paint pictures on my mind, Rick, in those moments where I felt that shoe drop. And I would, some of the lessons that I've learned, I would condense it down to maybe one or two things. One, you are not a failure. 
that is just not a possible disposition of anybody that follows Christ. And everything in me at those times wanted to identify me as a failure. The world would want to say that. And so I would plead with anybody that is in that position right now to don't believe that lie. In fact, it's one of the most potent lies the enemy throws at us. When we're weak, he 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 puts both barrels at us and tells us we fail. And I know, having gone through two or three seasons like this professionally, on the other side of that, you know, Rick, I'm. I would say, if I were to liken my wisdom, my influence as as a well, and you just you know you dig the well, the times that I dug deeper in the well are the oh, there's hard times. I'm still drawing yeah. from the well in Colorado Springs when it was really rough. Yeah. And I believe I, I've kind of caught on to God's ways through personal experience, not to mention what God's word says about it. I would say to that person, dig and, and it's okay to hurt. I'll never forget when I was in a, a very painful time and I, I was praying and I felt God say in my spirit distinctly, I want you to sit in your pain. That's the last thing I wanted to do. I wanted to get over it. I wanted to move on. I wanted to get this behind me and focused on something that was less painful. And what I found was a sweet fellowship that I never knew even could exist in fellowship with Christ by abiding in him. And and Rick, that 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 well dug back in 2017, another season of failure, uh, really, really changed my life. That's heart, that was heart transformation. I have to, I have to say, if I were to line up in a column, what, what were your most heart transformation times? It usually was around a period of suffering. Pete, I'm so glad you joined us today. Thanks for being a part of the podcast with me. It's always good to have a chance just to chat. Thanks, Rick. I enjoyed our time. Thanks for listening to our podcast today. Remember this, that uh, if you enjoyed it, please take a moment to subscribe and to share the link with friends or family or associates who also may enjoy or benefit from it too. And always know this, we are better together. Grace and peace to you today. Hey friend, that's our show for today. If you enjoyed the content or would like to hear future podcasts, please subscribe so you can be notified when new podcasts are released. On behalf of Mike Atkinson, Rick Shields, and our amazing Doorways Leadership and Influence Network partners, this is Rachel Middleton saying thanks for listening.